We continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians. We turn to chapter 5 this morning, and we read just two verses, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. But we regret, we, excuse me, but we, we, <laughs> but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who can't read, no, those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would apply these words to our lives today. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There was a Christian leader who was asked by someone for advice as to how to get rid of their pastor. And he assumed that it probably wasn't a sincere thing, maybe not a fair thing. So here's, here's what he said. Here's what his advice. Number one, look your pastor straight in the eye while he is preaching and say amen once in a while. He will preach himself to death, was the comment. Pat him on the back and tell him his good points. He'll work himself to death. Rededicate your life to Christ and ask your pastor for a job to do. He'll die of heart failure. Get the church to pray for him. Soon he'll become so effective that another church will take him off your hands. Now, we might chuckle a little bit about that, and yet... Maybe it illustrates a point that there are some in spiritual leadership today that probably are not being honored and supported. They feel like they can never quite measure up to what the demands of a congregation might be. But on the other hand, there are some spiritual leaders who maybe aren't living in a way that is worthy of honor. Maybe they've been negligent or lazy in their duties and therefore need to be challenged to be faithful, to be committed to their calling. Perhaps some of this may have been going on within the Thessalonian congregation. So Paul challenges here both spiritual leaders and those in the congregation how they are to function together. It's really a two-way street here. Two sides of a coin. The role of the pastor, the spiritual leader, as well as the role of the congregation. Notice, first of all, honor must be earned by spiritual leaders. In verse 12 of our text, Paul describes the spiritual leaders to whom honor is to be given in three clear ways. First of all, honor is to, give, is to be given to those who labor diligently. Look at verse 12. He says, But we request of you, brethren, 
that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. The word translated diligently labor is is really quite an intense word. It gives the picture of laboring to the point of exhaustion. It's the Greek word kopion. And if you are a part of the academy here, you have maybe seen some of the soccer young men wearing a shirt that says kopion on it. And I remember running into one of those students in the hallway one day and I said, Copion, what does that mean? And I'm glad he didn't say, I have no idea. <laughs> he said it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. So it's a very intense word here. A very challenging word for those in ministry. And it's a word that Paul really himself loved. Of the 26 times that it's found in the New Testament, 16 of those times it was used by Paul. Often describing his own ministry. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, We proclaim him, that is Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Then he says, for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. There's the word. I labor, striving according to his power that works within me. He has used this word already in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor, there's the word, and hardship, How working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So when Paul here speaks about laboring diligently in ministry, he knew what he was talking about. Because that's how he describes his own ministry. Paul was a very diligent man. He was not a lazy man. Laboring diligently. A long time ago, my dad told me something that I will never forget. He said, your people will not remember your sermons, but they will remember your service. And I thought, boy, that is good to know. You probably don't even remember what I preached on last week, do you? Or two weeks ago. Some of you got this blank look on your face. People don't always remember what you say, but they remember your work. They remember your service. Honor is given to those who labor diligently. Secondly, Paul says that honor is given to those who lead humbly. Though some in ministry have an inflated view of themselves as spiritual leaders, Paul puts spiritual leadership in proper perspective in verse 12. He says there that spiritual leaders have charge over you, and notice this phrase, in the Lord. In the Lord. And that phrase, in the Lord, is an important phrase because it removes any cause for boasting. Spiritual leaders are appointed by the Lord, right? It's His calling given to them. Spiritual leaders are equipped by the Lord. It is His gifting and His power that's at work within spiritual leaders. 
Spiritual leaders are strengthened by the Lord. And that's why they ought to serve with humility, because it's all of God. It's His calling, His equipping, and His strengthening. We have nothing to boast about, any of us, as we stand before God. I think of John the Baptist as a marvelous illustration of that. Remember what he said, he must increase, I must decrease. He said, there's one coming after me whose thongs on his sandal I can't even open. He said, this is the one, this is the lamb. Remember when, when, when Jesus came along and he, he, he said to his disciples, there's the lamb, behold the lamb of God. It seemed like John was always pointing people to Jesus. That's leading humbly. Not seeking to point anybody to us, to ourselves, but seeking to always point people to Jesus. Those who have charge over you in the Lord. And then thirdly, honor is given to those who instruct boldly. Verse 12 says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you, notice the word, instruction. The word instruction means much more than just imparting knowledge or information. The word has an element of, of warning in it. It's quite often translated with the word admonish. I have the New American Standard Version, and that's the footnote given, the word admonish. A.T. Robertson says that it means to put sense into the heads of people. (laughs) I thought that was an interesting word, description. Putting sense into the heads of people. If you think that's an easy task... Let me assure you that sometimes it is not a very easy task because sometimes those who need to be admonished the most want it the least. Ever run across that before? Someone who really needs to be admonished, really needs to be instructed, really needs to be told something that might not be necessarily an easy thing, don't want to hear it. And yet that's part of teaching. That's part of ministry. It is admonishing one another. And if you look at how this word is used in the New Testament, it is clear that we are to admonish one another because we love one another. That's the foundation of it. We admonish in love because we care about people. We warn, we instruct. We don't want people traveling down a road that will lead to destruction. Paul uses this word in Acts 20, verse 31, where he speaks about his ministry in the city of Ephesus, and he says that he admonished them with tears. A burden for them. He cared for them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, If anyone does not obey our instruction... In this letter, take special note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There's that loving relationship. That's why we admonish 
And sometimes that's not an easy thing to do as a pastor, to admonish. That's part of the calling that we've been given. I remember hearing of when my dad began his ministry back in Cloquet in 1960. And one of the members of our church told me this several years later, but his mother-in-law, the first Sunday that my dad preached in that congregation, on the way home she said, he is going to preach the church empty. (laughs) My dad was an admonisher. And this son-in-law of this woman... He was not walking with the Lord, but he had grown up in a godly home, and he knew what he knew what the Word said. And he told his mother-in-law, he said, no. No, he's not going to preach the church empty. That's going to fill the church. Because he loves us en- enough to admonish. And so what does Paul say then? Those who earn honor, labor diligently, Lead humbly, instruct boldly. So then the other side of the coin is the congregation. Honor must be earned by the spiritual leaders. Honor must be given by the congregation. And notice the three ways then that Paul says we honor spiritual leaders. The first way is by appreciating them. Verse 12 again. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. The word appreciate means literally to know. Know those who labor among you. And thus to know the worth of or to appreciate the value of. The implication is that when you really get to know someone, you begin to appreciate them. I remember a number of years ago, I was in a congregation for special meetings. And the pastor in that congregation was probably not the greatest preacher ever to walk the face of the earth. But boy, was he loved. Loved by his people. Related to what my dad told me. They're not going to remember your sermons, but they'll remember your service. Here was a man who diligently labored among his people. And even though he wasn't the most eloquent speaker there was, they loved him and they heard him as he preached. Because they knew that here was a shepherd who cared about his sheep. Appreciate those who labor among you. You know, some people have a hard time with this command to appreciate spiritual leaders because they focus on the wrong things. Personality. Every pastor has a different personality. And sometimes people focus on the personality of the preacher way too much. The wrong thing. Or the gifts they've been given. How they dress. Or how they compare to other preachers. Or how about their looks. Well, I'm in trouble if that's the guideline. Remember a lady that told me several years ago after we were about to leave one of the congregations I served, she said, you know, she said, I was just starting to like you. And now you leave. 
I think she was kidding. But over the years, I'm not so sure now. <laughs> was it my personality? Was it my dress? Couldn't have been my looks because I had a lot more hair in those days, but we don't focus on those things. We honor spiritual leaders by appreciating them, knowing the value of the shepherd. Secondly, we honor spiritual leaders by esteeming them. Verse 13, Paul says that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That phrase has always kind of made me a little uncomfortable as a pastor. And after looking at this phrase a little closer, it makes me more uncomfortable. Literally, it would read something like this, esteem them above exceedingly. Uh, Gigi Finley calls it a triple Pauline intensive, meaning beyond exceeding abundantly. That's why it makes me feel very uncomfortable. But Paul gives two reasons for that. One reason, similar to verse 12, is their work. Their work. Their work is a great work because it's involved in God's work. And most of the spiritual leaders that I know labor diligently. I rub shoulders with a number of them. And as you observe them in their ministry, they labor diligently. We praise God for that. But a second reason for esteeming spiritual leaders is our love for them. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Isn't it amazing what love will do for a relationship? When you love someone, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? When a pastor loves his congregation and the congregation loves their pastor, that is a beautiful thing. And when I see that, I just rejoice. Like a, a marriage relationship, in a sense. A beautiful thing. And then thirdly, we honor spiritual leaders by living in peace with them. Notice the last phrase of verse 13 after Paul talks about esteeming them very highly in love because of their work. Then he says, live in peace with one another. You know, whenever you work with people, even people in ministry, even people within congregations, you can expect that there will be times of conflict. I wish I could say that, you know, there's not ever going to be any conflict in a congregation. Well, that's just not the way it is. We have a, a sinful nature, don't we? We battle against our own flesh. We battle against Satan who is seeking to divide us and destroy us and hinder us in ministry. There is going to be times of conflict. And sometimes in the process we are hurt. Let's face it, right? Uh, someone said that, um, that Christians are like porcupines in the cold winter. They need each other, but they needle each other as well. Maybe a good description. 
like porcupines. And Paul was very aware of this. As he traveled from church to church, he witnessed some of those battles, some of those things within congregations that caused division. And that's why he often challenged them to live in peace. Romans 14, verse 19, he says that we need to pursue peace. Ephesians 4, 3, that we need to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Which would suggest that it takes a commitment, doesn't it? It takes effort, something to pursue, something to be diligent in. It doesn't just happen. We need to be willing to deal with those issues that would seek to divide us. But it's well worth the effort, isn't it? When there is unity in a congregation, especially when there's been conflict and the people of God are willing to sit down together and work through their differences, be able to come to the Lord's table on Sunday morning and there's nothing between me and anybody else at the table because we are part of the same body of Christ. So what's the key to all this? A lot of instruction here, right? A lot of uh, challenge in terms of Christian living. What is the key to all of this? I think the key is really that we are family. We are part of the family of God. We, we have been bought with a price. Because Paul, throughout this whole section here, beginning in verse 12, he refers to them as family over and over. Look at the word brethren. But we request of you, brethren. Verse 14, we urge you, brethren. Verse 25, brethren. Pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We don't really practice that, do do we? Verse 27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. That speaks of a family relationship, and it speaks of having a living relationship with the Father. Knowing Jesus. Being saved. Being redeemed. We're not going to live like this unless we're redeemed. This, this, is, this is instruction given to those who know Jesus. Those who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Because in ourselves, we, we don't have what is needed. But when we know the Father, when, when Jesus Christ is our Savior, then we call each other brothers and sisters, don't we? And we love family. Oldest daughter Sarah just gave birth to a little girl on Wednesday. Named after Ruby Jones. Huh? Ruby. Ruby Adeline Borg was born on, on Wednesday. One of the twelve most beautiful grandchildren in the world. Yeah, that's right. we got twelve now pictures that were on Facebook, just observing from a distance. Of course, Mom, Judy's there, you know, just suffering. We get pictures. And one of those pictures is really 
struck me as you saw all of those siblings gathered around Ruby, waiting for who gets to hold her next, you know? And little Kara, who was two, uh, Mike recorded uh, her singing, Jesus Loves Me, to her little sister. Couldn't say Jesus, she said, Dee Dee loves me. Yes, Dee Dee loves me. Yes, Dee Dee loves me. The Bible tells me so. They love that little girl. Why? Because she's family, right? She's a sister. She's a daughter. She's a granddaughter. And there's something about family. And there's something even more wonderful than the family of God, right? The Gaithers put it well. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in his fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. It's wonderful to be a part of the family of God. It's wonderful to be a part of this congregation. I thank God for you. I brag about you sometimes too. What wonderful families God has brought to our congregation. So we're family. And that changes the way that we live. May God continue to give to us that uh, love for Jesus, love for the Father, love for one another, to the glory and the praise of his name. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done to save us. You shed your blood for us. You died on the cross for us. And, Father, thank you for that wonderful gift of everlasting life to be called children of God. And as John writes in 1 John, and that is what we are. We praise you for that. And so enable us, O God, to live in light of that fact, what it means to be family, to love one another, because you have loved us. And as we come to your table today, Lord, thank you for the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ has paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Lord, thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.